You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Alright, now the missionary is preaching this morning, so you know it's probably not going to be good. So just kind of sit back and relax and hopefully, I, I, the, the bad thing is we know preacher's going to listen to this later. So, but anyway, we're, we of course miss Pastor Capace and his niece got married yesterday in Las Vegas and I heard the wedding was awesome. And I am so excited to get the opportunity to preach this morning. Uh, Christy, raise your hand, Christy. She's my sweetheart, and we just love Gospel Light. It's an amazing place. We've been here a month and a half, and we already feel at home. And so thank you guys so much. If you haven't met us yet, we've only been here six weeks. Make sure you come up and meet us after the service. Uh, We have been in Thailand for the last five years, and we're going back to Thailand in 10 months. And so we are raising financial support, training, and what a better place to train than right here at Gospel Light. So uh, thank you all of us who have opened your arms and welcomed us, and we're so happy to be here. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 16. This is a prophetic psalm. And this is one of my favorite psalms of all the psalms. I said in the nursing home yesterday, where's Miss Sonia? Is she in this service? She's not. She was in the first service. But uh, I said yesterday in the nursing home, this has probably got to be in the top five of all the psalms. And uh, Miss Cinda's up there. She was there too. So anyway, I love this psalm. And I think this morning that this psalm is going to be a blessing I'm going to read it, and you can just listen, starting with the first verse. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Oh, we could stop there for a while, couldn't we? When you think of the universe, the sun the moon, the stars, the galaxies. How magnificent it is. And then there's these humans on planet Earth, and there's seven billion of us, and you and I are just one of seven billion. Isn't it kind of foolish when we have pride for who we've become, for who we are? It is, huh? David said, I have no good apart from you. Everything good that we have, everything good that we are, any good that we do, is from God. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion. Portion, talking about lot or land, as we see later in the verse. In my cup you hold my lot. Of course, David was the king of Israel, and God had given the Israelites the promised land. And David said, God, actually, you 
are my portion. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance, the Lord. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And I want you to listen to these next four words. My whole being rejoices. Now, let's be honest with ourselves this morning. Can we do that? Do you feel this way about God? Does your whole being get excited about God? The answer is probably not all the time, right? Now we get to the prophecy here in Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching and Peter uses this psalm in Acts chapter 2. And he says, David's not talking about himself because David is in the grave. David is talking about Jesus. Verse number 10, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. What in the world is Sheol? Well, Sheol is a Hebrew word. It's just transliterated. And it means the place of the dead. For you will not abandon my soul to the place of the dead, to the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. You know, there's only one man in the history of the world whose soul was not left in the grave, right? That's Jesus. Verse number 11. Oh, I love this verse. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, the right hand of God is God's authority, God's power. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I want to tell you this morning that God's presence equals the fullness of joy. And you can write that in your notes this morning, that the, the handout that we gave you. God's presence equals fullness of joy. Now you might read that up on the screen this morning and you might say, Scott, that has not been my experience. But that's what I want to talk about this morning. Because that was David's experience. David said, when I'm in the presence of God, my heart is glad. And then what does he say? He says, my whole being rejoices. I got to be honest with you, when I read this, I'm like, yeah, that's not really how I feel all the time. And I think as we look at the Word of God this morning, I think this is going to be the bar that we want to set. God's right hand equals pleasures forevermore. Would you write in pleasures? 
This morning I want to talk about, number one, the place where everything is perfect. The place where everything is perfect. Number two, our desire for this place. And number three, the two who left this place. Our desire for this place and the two who left this place. Let's start off on number one, the place in which everything is perfect. I love the way that David talks about the Word of God, the presence of God. You ever read the Psalms and you notice how David says, the Word of God is sweet. He's like, I want to eat it. It tastes good. David was passionate about God and the presence of God. Maybe you don't feel that way. Maybe you're not pleased with God this morning. Maybe you feel like God hasn't been fair to you. Maybe as you look around at other people, maybe even in the room this morning, you think, boy, God really blessed them, but God hasn't quite blessed me that way. And God hasn't really been fair to me. Have you ever felt this way? I know I have. Have you ever read the Bible and thought, is God hungry for praise? What kind of God creates people and then commands those people, praise me. Love me with all your heart, soul, and mind. Pray to me. Obey me. Do what I say. Is God hungry for praise? Does he got to have it? I've certainly felt that way before. But that is not at all who God is. The reality is God did not create us to fulfill his joy. I want you to put that in your brain and not forget it. God did not create us to fulfill his joy. And now we're going to read one of my favorite passages in all the scripture. And we'll read it in the New Living Translation. I'll read you follow along. Acts chapter 17 verses 24 and 25. He is the God who made the whole world. And everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs. Say it with me, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and say it with me, he satisfies every need. God has no needs. He merely shares His glory with us. God satisfies every need. Every desire in your heart this morning, God fills it. I want to read a quote from the Westminster Confession of Faith. This was a statement of faith faith written in 1690 a long time ago and it's been one of the one of the 
strongest statements of faith in the Christian church over the last few centuries. I want to read it to you. God hath all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. Has anyone in the room ever torn a ligament? Would you raise your hand? Oh, good. I'm not alone. Awesome. Raise it high. In the back, we've got a couple. Oh, go. There's a third one. Good. Awesome. About five months ago, I was playing soccer in Thailand, and we've got our church over there. At the end of the service, I started a little men's soccer group. We go over to this field near the church, and we play soccer. And Christy wasn't very pleased with me. Let's, we'll, I'll just be honest with you, because... Sometimes I'm 31, but sometimes I act like I'm 16. And I got a family of four. I'm supposed to be providing for them. And I play like a teenager. I went to kick the ball. And I kicked a tie man's foot instead of the ball. There I go, kicking that. You can, you can tell I've got some, some struggles here, okay? I kicked this guy's foot and immediately... Those of you who have ever torn a ligament, you know something incredibly wrong just happened to your body. I went and I got a cast on it, and for three weeks I couldn't walk. And I've never torn a ligament, I've never torn a leg or broken a leg, nothing before. I don't know how this works. So I take the cast off at the end of the three weeks, and my foot would go down. We're good there, right? Up. Not at all. None. And so they have you walk in a pool for physical therapy. Has anyone ever done this before? You're walking in the pool for physical therapy? Okay. And I had just read Psalm 16 that morning. So sometimes if you're like me, like throughout the day, I mean, if I read, if I was reading in Leviticus and Numbers, I really don't meditate on the Word of God. But... If I, I mean, you can laugh there. We're just being honest, right? But I read Psalm 16, which is just an amazing psalm. And I'm 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 trying to walk in the pool. And I'm thinking about, in thy presence is fullness of joy. And I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around that. Because it doesn't really, you know, you hear it. And you're like, yeah, that sounds cool. But then you like start to thinking about it. And it's like, is God's presence really like... I'm just thinking about it as I'm walking here in the pool. And all of a sudden, a word just popped in my head. Utopia. Now, when I just said the word utopia, what words came into your mind? I'm like, what does utopia even mean? I started thinking about it. What does utopia mean? I ran inside, I grabbed my iPad, and I'm searching for utopia. And utopia... It means an imagined place or state of things in which everything is perfect. And right underneath the definition, 
there was a title of a book from 1516 by Sir Thomas More. It's a novel. Has anyone ever heard of Sir Thomas More before? Yeah? Uh, Sir Thomas More, he wrote a novel called Utopia. An imagined place or state of things in which everything is perfect. Here I am in the pool, walking on my leg, and I thought, that's it. That's the presence of God. That is the presence of God. It's utopia. It's utter peace. It's utter joy. It meets all of our needs. And I came inside and I started writing this sermon. I want to talk about number two, our desire for this place. The deepest desire of every human is to be in a place or state in which everything is perfect. That is our deepest desire. I don't care who you are in the room today. Your deepest desire is to be in a place or a state in which everything is perfect. Now, some of you are married to a perfectionist, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want you to get in trouble. And I certainly won't tell you if I am because I don't want to get in trouble. No, but, but all of us, we desire to be in a place where everything's perfect. And whether you realize it or not, we spend a lot of money for that place. Now, we all spend our money differently because we all like different things. But all of us rely on that place or that state in which everything's perfect. Think about it. Guys, have you ever spent a lot of money to go watch a ball game? Now, if you're like me, if you're broke and you don't have a lot of money, you're like, okay, well, let's go see the Memphis Grizzlies. Like, I know this game is going to be awful, but the food's good. And I'm sure the pregame show will be good. And the game's going to be terrible. And we're going to regret spending this money. But we've got to spend our money on something. So let's just blow it at a Grizzlies game. Right? Anybody there? But if you really, really want utopia. If you really, really want to just satisfy that desire of yours. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to save your money and you're going to go to the national championship game. Ladies, for you, it's that one event. That one event that no one really cares about, but they're going to act like they care about for your sake. And they're going to come and they're going to buy an outfit for you. They're going to buy a present for you. And they're going to watch you get up there and say this, I do stuff. And that event... It's going to be so awesome. Oh, it's going to just meet your desires. A wedding, right? What about shopping? Some of you like to shop. And you go out and you buy that outfit and you think to yourself, I'm going to look good in this outfit. And when other people see me, 
You're not buying that outfit for yourself. When they see me, they're going to be impressed with me, and I'm going to feel fulfilled. Whether it's fame, whether it's love, whatever the desires are in your heart, you and I seek to seek to, to, to gain those things. But I want you to be real honest with me this morning. You can never quite grab onto them, can you? You can't. It doesn't matter how many people like that post on Facebook. It just doesn't really completely. And then the next day, you're on Instagram, you've got to post another one, right? Am I just being real with you this morning? The reality is, as much as we chase it, we cannot grasp it. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 14, I observe everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless. Like chasing the wind. I love that. I love that. New Living Translation, it says it's like chasing the wind. Now, can you catch up to wind? Can you do it? You can't do it, can you? How many, do I have any C.S. Lewis fans in the room? A few of you? Okay. I want to read this quote, and I think you're going to love this. This is by C.S. Lewis. Most people, if they really learned how to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something this world can never give them. There are all sorts of things in the world that offer to give it to you. But they never keep their promise. The longings which first arrive in us when we first fall in love, or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us. These are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning will ever satisfy. I'm not speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or trips and so on. I'm speaking of the very best possible ones. There is always something we have grasped at in that first moment of longing that just fades away in reality. The spouse may be a good spouse. The scenery has been excellent. It has turned out to be a good job. But it... The thing that we thought was going to be in the center of it always evades us like chasing the wind. What we want is not really what we want. What we really want is God. Did you hear me this morning? What we want is not really what we want. What we really want is God. So why is it, if we really want God, that we look for joy outside of God? Why do we do that as humans? We all do it, and we've been doing it for thousands of years. 
We have been seeking joy and satisfaction in the things of this world, in other people, in our children, when it can only be found in God. I want us to look at an example this morning of someone who's a lot like we are, the first man to ever live. The first man was Adam. Where did Adam live? Someone yell it out. The Garden of Eden. Now, what was the Garden of Eden? It was, I heard paradise. It was utopia. It was the perfect place. Now, if you're crazy like me, if you, I mean, if you've been listening to me up to now, you probably know I'm crazy. And if you know Christy, you know it's a good thing I married her because she kind of tones me out a little bit. When I think of the Garden of Eden, I have these crazy thoughts that come into my head. Like the river was chocolate and like there was just, you know, I don't know, growing off of the trees. But the reality is it was perfect. It wasn't perfect because there was no sin. It was perfect because it had the presence of God. And as we read the Bible, we find out that Adam and Eve walked in the garden in the presence of God. So here you have the first man ever. He's in the presence of God and he has the fullness of joy. And he was satisfied, right? No, he wasn't satisfied. Along came the tempter and tempted Adam to go elsewhere for his happiness. Now, we have a lot of discussion in America today about what's a sin and what's not a sin and your sin's bigger than my sin and oh, there's a sinner over there, they're doing that sin, and I'm over here, and I'm doing sins, but mine aren't as bad as that sin. What is sin? Now, if you read the Bible, you know that sin is sin. But what is sin? Sin is anything you look to to bring you happiness outside of God. That's what sin is. Sin is when you say to yourself, this is going to make me happy. And that wasn't God's plan. That's not how God drew it up. Adam lived in utopia. We see in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very Good. Adam and Eve wanted nothing. Not because they were gods, but because they were in the presence of God. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves, say it with me, from the presence of the Lord God. 
Adam, the first man, left the presence of God because he thought there was joy outside of God's presence. And he found out there was not. And just like Adam, you and I search for happiness outside of God. So we're kind of stuck, aren't we? (laughs) Can I kind of just shoot straight with you this morning? You mind that? When you put on this little microphone, it doesn't turn you into some super Christian. I am just like Adam. She's a lot less like Adam than I am. But we struggle in our home because it's not perfect. She's married to a sinner. So often in my life, I'm choosing things that I think are going to bring me comfort or peace or happiness. And they don't. They don't keep their promise. That's what C.S. Lewis said. They don't keep their promise. Oh, man, this morning. This morning, we got four kids. Christy, she goes to do the worship practice early in the morning, which leaves me at home with four kids. Can you all give me a sigh? Just, oh. Here I am at home, and Kelsey, she's our, she's our angel. And if you know Kelsey, you know I'm straight up lying to you. And she's four, so I say, all right, we're going to do Apple Jacks this morning. Kelsey's like, I don't want Apple Jacks. I want a banana. And I know in my mind, Christy has already gotten up early. She's already done the hard part. She's already gotten them dressed for church. But I know if I give her that banana, that dress is going to be messed up. So I say, no banana. And the whole morning, I'm thinking about myself. No, you can't do that. No, you can't have that. Because if you do that, it's going to cost me And I'm parenting, not in love, but I'm parenting worrying about myself and what's going to make me happy. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just kind of punches me in the gut and says, you're preaching on happiness this morning, aren't you, buddy? Before we think that the guy up front with the microphone's just got it all together and he's just doing it all right, I'm here to tell you this morning. I don't know all of you, but I know one thing about you. You seek for happiness outside of God. And we're stuck. What do we do about it? During the closing of this message... I want to introduce you to something that has changed my heart. And I want to introduce you to something that I promise you can change your heart too. And it can fill that hole in your life that is so large. There was another man who left the presence of God, the second Adam. 
Like the first man, Adam, the second Adam was in the presence of God. He left utopia and came to dystopia. And I'm not expecting you to read a book that's 502 years old, so I'll give you the definition for dystopia. An imagined place or state in which everything is unpleasant or bad. Typically a totalitarian or environmentally degraded one. This second man that we're talking about this morning, the second Adam, he was in the presence of God. He wanted nothing. He had no desires that were not satisfied because he was in the presence of God. But he left the perfect presence of God and he came down to dystopia. He came down to this world that is marred and that is torn apart and where there's evil everywhere you look. You turn on the news and in every country in the world there's evil. And this second Adam left the presence of God and he came down and he dwelt among us. Why did he do it? I read from you Isaiah chapter 53 in the New Living Translation. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. 
And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. This servant, this second Adam, he was exposed, he exposed himself to death that we may have life. He was rejected by God that we might be accepted. He became sin that we might be made righteous. He became poor that we might be rich. He became a man that we might become children of God. He left the presence of God that we might enter again into his presence. Jesus, the second Adam, left the presence of God to redeem the sins of man, restoring them back into God's presence. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us back to God. John 14, verse 3. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I want to end with a quote by C.S. Lewis. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself. Because it is not there. There is no such thing. When the creator on the cross, when we see the creator on the cross, our hearts melt at his feet and we worship him. Not for what we can get from him, but for who he is and for what he has done. I'll say that one more time. When we see the creator on the cross, our hearts melt at his feet and we worship him. Not for what we can get from him, but for who he is and for what he has done. I don't know who you are this morning. I don't know what your problem is. But I can tell you the fix. It's Jesus. He left the presence of God so that you and I could enter into his presence. Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you hear David and the way that he talks and you're like, I don't have that. I'll tell you the solution. See the creator on the cross. That is the only thing that can melt my heart and your heart. And it's the only thing that can bring you into the presence of God. David said in Psalm 100, come before his presence with singing. Would you stand with me this morning?